we are now in the back half of our series on sexuality, and, and I want to make sure that we're on the same page uh, by doing a bit of a, a drive-by um, in where we've been over the last few weeks. So we started by talking about what it means to be human, that we were created to image God, to reflect his character, his goodness, and justice into creation so that it might flourish. Uh, And if that's what our purpose is, then our sexuality must be along the same lines. And so we have been talking over the last few weeks about what God's ideal for sexuality is. It's not that we be heterosexual, rather it is that we be holy, as he is holy. And practically speaking, uh, that expresses itself in one of two ways. Uh, Chastity and singleness, which means that you flee sexual immorality, or faithfulness in marriage. And last week I was making the case that singleness and marriage are both good gifts given by God. One is not better than the other. They both have joys and they both have hardships unique to them. Both have the same goal in mind. It's to reflect God's holiness. But it can kind of seem like singleness presents greater hardships. After all, people need to be known, cared about, and more, whether they are married or not. And so, as a single person, such as yourself, how are these needs supposed to be met? Which brings us to tonight. Tonight, we're going to be talking about how God's ideal for sexuality, how it shapes our communities, how we see and relate to each other. And so from our text, which is Ephesians 2, 11 through 22, but we're really going to camp on verses 19 through 22, uh, I want us to look at the community that God has given us to pursue holiness. Uh, And from our text, I want us to make three movements. I want us to look at the problem, the paradigm, and the practice. Now, the obvious answer to this hardship of being single would be friendships, right? It it just kind of makes sense. And I would propose to you from Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 that we need both male and female relationships to image God well. But these types of relationships where guys and girls encourage and spur one another on toward love and good deeds seem more like an impossibility than anything else. There there seems to be this great divide between guys and girls and we struggle to to bridge the gap. Uh, And I think that's because our feelings kind of get in the way. Uh, Perhaps you've seen this happen before. A mixed group of friends, guys and girls, that really enjoy each other's company self-destructs because someone had to go and make it awkward by expressing a romantic interest in someone else in the group. Uh, And and I think this is fueled by a a cultural assumption that if a guy is friends with a girl, or vice versa, well, then there must be romantic feelings involved. And if there isn't right now, then there's soon will be. And and many of us, in an effort to avoid the stigma, the whispers that it engenders, and the broken relationships that it might create, we just ignore the opposite gender altogether. Uh, And I think think the Christian subculture has its own little twist on this divide, that that the segregation is actually a really good thing. Um, That that just, just keep the opposite sex at arm's length until you're ready to date and pursue marriage. And that might sound like an effective way to, to, um, to f- pursue holiness, but it actually presents a couple of problems. The main one is that it reduces the opposite gender 
into something, into nothing more than being a possibility of a romantic partner. That means that if you don't find them attractive or you don't want to spend the rest of your life with them, there's no reason to talk to them. There's no reason to get to know them at all. See, if, if the end-all be-all of our sexuality is heterosexual marriage, then friendships with the opposite gender really isn't in the cards because you are constantly evaluating their potential to measure up to your expectations, and, and it causes you to miss out on a lot of meaningful relationships. And what I, hope, what I hope you've seen over the last four weeks, if you've been with us, is that our aim here is much larger than marriage. Our aim is not to move toward marriage, but it's to grow in holiness. And since, since the problem I think lies in how we relate to the opposite gender. What I want to propose to you is that we actually need a new paradigm, a new way of thinking and relating to each other, which is what our text gives us. Let let me read verses 19 through 22 again. Uh, Paul is contrasting what we were to what we are now. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Now this passage is is written to uh, a group of people who were far off. Uh, They weren't Jews. They weren't a welcome part of God's people uh, and Paul is writing them to remind them all that has changed. Uh, that that um, it's what they were. And notice what language he uses. They're fellow citizens, but they're far more than that. They are members of God's household. In other words, they're part of God's family now. And, and this is one of the great benefits that we experience when we accept Jesus as our Savior and King. Uh, we typically think of salvation as the removal of our sins, that we are declared righteous. And that's true, and it's a beautiful thing. But the Bible tells us that our salvation actually includes much more than that, uh, such as the fact that we are adopted. And when the Bible is talking about adoption here, it's referring to the benefit that we now have of being beloved children of God. Uh, And we enjoy all the privileges and rights of being included in his family. And the way that God has adopted us, the way he's brought us into his family, is through Jesus. Just a few verses before verse 19, uh, Paul tells us uh, in verses 13 and 14, that now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. See, th- this, this benefit of adoption uh, is one of the most important things that you can grasp. It helps you understand and cling to, to God whenever you go through hard times. It, it, helps, it helps you identify and see who you really are. And oftentimes when we talk about adoption, we talk about the vertical relationship, how, how we now relate to God. But there are implications for how we relate to each other. If God is our Father, then what do, our, what do other believers become? They are our brothers and sisters in Christ. 
They're brothers and sisters in the family of God. And if you read through the New Testament, this is the paradigm that the apostles often use to talk about other Christians. And I want to propose to you that's how we should be challenged to view each other as well, as brothers and sisters. And in our remaining minutes, I want us to think about what this new paradigm would look like practically. Um, the New Testament has a lot to say about being spiritual brothers and sisters, but we can really clump most of what it has to say under one of three categories. Uh, the first is unity. Uh, unity does not mean uniformity. Uh, when the Bible talks about unity, it envisions us laying aside, or more accurately, bearing with each other's differences as we move toward a common goal, that of being built up into Christ. And so whereas in the old paradigm, uh, friends are facing each other, what they're getting out of it, in this sense, they are both facing forward, pursuing a common goal uh, to build each other up in the Lord. The second common category, the thing that should characterize our relationships with each other, is humility. Now, humility is not thinking less of yourself, uh, thinking that you're worthless or scum or no good. It's, it's really just not thinking about yourself. Um, it's being preoccupied with the good of the other person uh, in a, a selfless, caring way. And so, as brothers and sisters in Christ, our relationships should be characterized by unity, humility, and no surprise, love. Uh, not, not necessarily in the romantic sense or in the infatuation sense, but the type of love that you would have toward your physical brothers and sisters, the ones where you, you care for them, you're concerned about them, and you know, you, you're devoted, whether you think you are or not, to looking out for their well-being. All of this flows out of our new paradigm that we get from Scripture on how we relate to each other. And so here's what I'm trying to say. Let me try to land the plane here. We need each other. (laughs) Ladies, you need more than your girlfriends, and guys, you need more than your guy friends. Um, Together, we image God. Together, we spur each other on toward reflecting his holiness. And so for a start, I'd just like to encourage you guys to talk to each other. Not because you think that the other person is attractive, but because they are your brother and sister in Christ. Because the reality is, if Jesus is your Savior and King, and their Savior and King, we're spending eternity together. We might as well get started knowing each other now. <laughs>